Hello and welcome to Technically Speaking, a podcast where scientists and engineers come together to chat about common interests, share knowledge and satisfy some curiosity. I'm Amina and in this episode I'm joined by Antonia, Anika and Kara to talk about how scientific findings are interpreted and whether they portray and shape our opinions. To start off with, let's define what scientific findings are and how that's different from data. Because we were discussing this a little bit before we recorded, right? And we all obviously have quite a little bit of different stances and what this means to each of us. So I guess I'll start and say, um, I think of scientific findings being the conclusion, essentially from a study, how somebody has arrived at a point and what they kind of have decided is, I always get confused with these words, hypothesis, their, or their, their theory. Um, so they got to that end point and to get to that stage they've had to use data but actually I, I view data as having been interpreted in between as well so a scientific finding is interpreted from data data is a representation of information in a structured way i would agree with that definition you start off with data so let's start off with asking everyone a scientific finding that you have come across, how it has affected your opinion or has made you ask more questions. Should we start off with Anika? It's a very basic one. So I remember when I was in school, we had to set jelly babies on fire and they called it like the screaming jelly baby experiment, which just oh, sounds so, sounds so violent really nice. um, and really morbid um, because we had to find out how many calories was contained in this screaming jelly baby we burn jelly babies and other foodstuffs to find out how many calories was in there so i'll define a calorie is basically amount of energy required to raise one gram of water by one degree celsius that was a finding that a jelly baby contained so many calories which we found after the burning it obviously when we eat food our body doesn't set the food on fire to like use those calories so it was quite cool for me at the time to like see oh okay so burning something is releasing the energy and when we eat it we're releasing energy in very different ways but finding out about the equivalence of energy was was quite interesting and also I was very confused at the time because the numbers kind of didn't match up with what's on the packet because I know on packets they write everything in kcal which is kilocalories which I think is a thousand calories yeah but we only say like so we say calories as opposed to kilocalories when in conversation so I thought that was quite an interesting scientific finding and it made me think about what food is worth calorifically so wait was your experiment finding that you were higher or lower than what it said on the packet so packets write kilocalories and um it's just a different context right different unit basically yeah so what you're saying it is true because that burning it we assume like there's a hundred percent conversion of the energy within the jelly baby but obviously when you eat a jelly baby I don't think all of those calories are absorbed into your body yeah I'm not sure I've also I don't think I've actually ever eaten a jelly baby to be fair so I'm not sure sorry (laughs) and Tony seems very shocked that I've never had a jelly I mean, is that because of the gelatin? For yeah, some- yeah, spot on gelatin issues. For some reason, I kind of, I was like, but you did an experiment with it. Of course, you ate some at the same time. But I'm, no, no, I'm, sure, no. I'm sure your teacher would have told you to not eat the food in the lab conditions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you shouldn't be eating in the lab, Cara. <laughs> Don't you go me either. <laughs> yeah. How about Cara? What about you? I guess the example I have of this is, I'm going to say it was quite a humbling experience. Whenever I was kind of put in my place a little bit for something which I thought was a scientific finding and maybe it wasn't so much and um, so I haven't really eaten meat much for many years and it's kind of just because I don't really like it to be honest um it was no real ethical or worldly reason I just chose to eat less meat and eat more vegetables because I feel better that way and I like it better 
but whenever I was in my undergraduate um, I started learning a bit about you know the whole idea of climate change and impact on the world and whatever else um, and then so I started getting some facts that really made me realize that the way my diet was going was actually like good for the world and you hear lots of these facts about how one of the biggest things you can do as an individual is to cut meat and, so, and dairy out of your diet and I was like oh this is great and I always had all these different like stats to back me up and so many studies talking about how up to like 50% of carbon emissions in the world are from the meat industry and then whenever I started my PhD in the first year of my PhD um, this is when I started to learn to be very critical of lots of different information because I was at a summer a research summer school and we were doing this like task together on this like online portal and we were talking about all the different changes we could make to society to see how much we'd help stop climate change and I was like I was like mm, feeling really smug I was like okay well we should all cut meat out of our, di- our diet and the person leading the session was like mm, are you sure about that and he did the thing on the little um, portal game that we were playing and it made like no impact whatsoever and actually it showed that in lots of studies that chicken meat out of your diet isn't actually as great as they say in some other studies and it was just like opened up this whole idea that it's not as factual as you might assume because there's been so many assumptions made and it depends who's framing it in what way and it just made me kind of aware of being critical whenever I'm taking scientific facts off my Instagram stories <laughs> you know I should definitely have to criticize it in in, in a better way that's like very uh speaks to my soul uh, and I'll get a lot of haters now for admitting to being an ex-vegan but I was the same I used to think that it's better to have less meat and when I looked into it more it's, it's not black and white it really depends on what's the source of your meat and even like vegetables like avocados for example I know we've discussed before have a huge uh, environmental impact as well so it's all about being balanced and yeah being critical of, of the data We've touched on this in past episodes as well of how media and things play a role in all of this, of how certain bits of information are quite juicy and they get promoted a bit more and then it doesn't really necessarily show the whole picture. So you're just you're reiterating that. Um, Antonia, how about yourself? Just to add on to what Cara was saying, actually, was there was this fact about, um, you know, we eat five spiders across the year in our sleep. That's one of those... Um, prevalent facts that have actually just been totally made up it's like someone created it to see how fast these kind of false informations with no backing and it's because it's it's a snappy thing and I don't even think it's five spiders it could be seven but it just it's just one of those weird ideas that just just keeps getting passed on and well another fun fact for that 10,000 steps a day that was a media campaign there's no real Mm, but um, the, oh, I did not know that. But it was the Tokyo Olympics. It was created in Japan around some athletic event, and they wanted to make like a snappy title. I think they, I think it's actually like six thousand steps a day or something's good for you. But they thought ten thousand sounded better. Ooh. For people who aren't really sure what it is, is you're supposed to get ten thousand steps a day. Um, and they say this is like you know this is how they sell Fitbits. This is how they sell pedometers. This is what they say is like the goal of being fit and healthy in everyday life. Um, and you're supposed to get ten thousand steps a day, and it just sounds snappy. It just kind of sounds good. I was always told that if you have a scientific paper and you're writing up your research findings, get three findings. Things sound good in threes. You know, why three things? Did you find three things? Did you find seven things instead? But three sounds better and people are more likely to listen to you. Well, it's interesting. I always thought it's just, you know, you have three findings for at least for comparison and things. I didn't know that it just is three because it sounds good. Yeah, well, maybe that's in qualitative research. You have to kind of tell your story in a different way. Um, Antonia, how about yourself? Back onto the scientific findings quite a few years ago. Diesel was cheaper to buy at the pump than petrol. My dad was thinking of changing cars. So he was like, oh, well, you know, 
the miles per gallon you get with a diesel car better but does that weigh up overall and I was just like no dad can't get a diesel car the emissions and he was like what they're supposed to be better for carbon dioxide emissions and at the time in my course we were looking at diesel versus petrol cars you're just sort of doing a trade-off of what type of emissions you have you know petrol has less energy in each kilogram of fuel so that's why you get more miles per gallon out of diesel but diesel has generally got more impurities and the way it burns means that there's actually more smog so little particulates you know the you see it there's kind of like dark clouds coming out of a diesel car and so you need to have more catalytic converter you need more parts to clean up the emissions so that they get to a nice uh, level and there are these uh, standards to ensure like air quality things like that my dad didn't change in the end because he thought Nah, just I've used a petrol car all my life. I'll just stick with a petrol car. You know, this this diesel being cheaper might not even last. And then two years later, the VW emission scandal came to light. I guess we'll talk about that in a bit. Yes, we will. So it sounds like what you were saying, there's so much information around us and that it has an ability to influence our views. How information is interpreted can be altered by the context that it's presented in. So let's re- revisit those examples we we gave and do a little bit of a deeper dive. So shall we start off with Antonia since we're discussing the, the diesel emission scandal? Yeah, so cars have emissions. When a fuel combusts, there are byproducts. One of the useful products we get is heat, which drives the engine. Other bits, you know, when you burn the air, there'll be nitrous oxide. Um, incomplete combustion will produce uh, these particulates and you might also get some carbon monoxide. and it matters because it all impacts our air quality I could adapt just listen to you talking about these facts and figures you sound like proper expert on the on the issue so there are lots of emissions that come out of cars one of the facts that came out of car companies was diesel cars produce less carbon dioxide emissions and so Entire countries based their carbon, uh, well, their climate change plans around this and promoted those cars. Then when it was revealed that actually they were manipulating the uh, results in that the test conditions were, were not completely fair, that they attached a device, which they've called a defeat device. It would know when it's under test conditions and so the engine would run in a better manner, so it would pass the test. But in real-world conditions, it wouldn't actually reach that uh, emission level. So people were seeing, why is our air quality a lot worse than expected? And it was because they'd, they'd taken that, manipulated it, and then sold many, many cars based on that. Well, so that's like actively misleading the data. It wasn't just that somebody interpreted it in a certain way. They actually wanted to make sure that it's said what they wanted it to say yeah well you have to question whether there was some insider information there that this is how we're doing it and this is how we're posing it because if entire countries are basing their carbon emission around this it seems quite strange that they got away with so much for so long was it just one company that came out with it or did they then find out other people were doing the same thing i mean it was a couple of years before vw were highlighted the eu did some research and found different models of cars weren't passing the test in real world conditions 
And as people dug in more after VW came out, it seemed like there was there was quite a few brands. They have a a governing uh, or like sector body. Automotive industry will come together and set certain parameters together, and they basically wrote their own rule book. And they would also say, "This is the best we could do right now, and if we all stick to this level, we're not competing with each other." So it became so standard for everyone to do this sort of thing as well. I think that's really interesting in how it differs from my example of talking about um talking about the emissions of um the meat industry for example or just food and agriculture in general yours was such an explicit purposefully done misleading with data whereas what i took away from my experience was that i realized that people go into science with such biases that they will continue to work at studies until they get something which kind of confirms what they previously believed so someone who is a vegetarian compared to somebody who comes from a family of four generations who've been farming beef are going to want to see very different things when they do studies into the impact of what their diet is and things become very emotional and very kind of culturally attached. I see science as not always being like this, like there is like a truth to find. It's always shaped and influenced by people's background and beliefs. So yeah, that's a completely different example of how actually in in your case, it was people saying, okay, well, this is going to be better for business. Let's try and reach this goal. Whereas I think sometimes actually what also happens is people think that they have told the truth and people who kind of view the world in a way that, um, what's it called, positivistic, which means that they think that there is right and there is wrong. Whereas they don't realize that if they do this study only looking at Irish females who lived in Belfast their whole life, they're going to get a different result than someone who's, you know, completely different um, from a different background. And they're, they're physically maybe different how they interact with the world. That's really interesting. You view it that way as essentially what you seek, you shall find, right? rather than interpreting it yeah well I think there's um, a mixture of both I think there's definitely a mixture of both but I think one of the best examples I saw of this was um I always forget who he is he's quite a famous academic but he um he was doing some work in informal settlements in Bangladesh I think it was and they were basically trying to do um water systems as cheaply as possible and they just didn't have the money to put the infrastructure in place into these informal settlements which didn't have it previously by using European and American standards by designing the water systems just would not work in any way and they were just like well this is the engineering standards this is fact this is based on what we've always done of course it's going to work and he said they actually ended up using um approved is used in Japan instead and actually by taking this completely different approach to engineering which people think of as a hard fact they were able to do it in a way which was so much more intuitive and cheaper because actually it just is they take a completely different mindset when they approach it so that's why I always say engineering is more of a, an art form than a science but obviously it's a mixture of the two obviously some things are what we know that they've been fact for at least a few hundred years so you know they might stick around as fact for a while and I feel like there's a lot to unpack. You just said engineering sort of an art form. I think <laughs> I think some people would would sort of say, well, there's at least some sort of like technical basis that they do start with science somewhere and then might use a scientific approach towards getting there, but ultimately deciding what's the right solution will differ on the situation. So, you know, there is still science in there, right? So this is where for me gets like super interesting that science isn't always a science. So there's courses at university where people who will study maths and philosophy or physics and philosophy, because actually a lot of what you get to behind what science is, is 
completely based on culture. It's completely based on how we choose to view things. I don't, I don't take that stance. I appreciate the scientific method, but it's, it's all speculative. It's all kind of made up. And that's the when your mind starts to get really blown, <laughs> talking about data and scientific findings. It is all based on what someone else's findings are and then us taking that and then building upon it rather than, I suppose, breaking it down and, and sort of looking into the details of it every single time. We take the principles and we build on it, right? Yeah, and so I think, Anika, then back to your example of the, the screaming jelly baby, it's what people are now discussing. It's, this is a whole different wormhole to go down talking about diet culture and diet science science and nutritional science. That's, you know, so up for debate in lots of different ways. Absolutely. And I think having like an, a measure, like a calorie, makes people think that, you know, if I have one calorie of, of a jelly baby or one calorie of a banana, it's going to be the, the same thing. It's, it's worth the same. Um and like calorie counting and stuff, it can be really toxic and, and really dangerous because it doesn't take into account all the other things like in your food, like the fiber present, the vitamins, the minerals and, and, and how our, how effectively our body can absorb those nutrients as well. Um, so it's slightly different example, but um, I'm anemic. And so I only know this because I'm anemic, that there's two different types of, of iron found in foods and some are plant-based foods and some are obviously animal-based products. So it's like heme and non-heme. It's actually easier to absorb iron generally from animal-based foods compared to plant-based foods. I think that's the case. So like when I was vegan, everyone's like, oh, you can get your iron from, you know, your spinach and things like that. And I eat so much spinach and pulses and things like that anyway, and they contain iron, but you need to eat a significant amount more to absorb this the same amount. And I think yeah, having these simplistic units and stuff like that is is valuable because it gives us some indication, but it can be really mis miscon misconstrued, misinterpreted, no. <laughs> taken advantage of, I would say. Or maybe just too simplified, you know, like what we're using calories for is energy. We're not necessarily saying you will have a well-rounded, balanced diet. We're just saying this is how much energy you'll have in general. The more energy you have and you don't use, it will get stored as fat. It doesn't take into account how many vitamins you have. So from my very broad understanding of diet in that I am also just a layman in this term, but I heard that vegans often suffer from this because they don't get B12, which is a vitamin commonly found in animal products. So you've got to pair iron with B12. You can't just purely go, go iron. Is that what your, what was your finding, Anika? Vitamin C is what you need to take with your iron uh, in order to absorb it properly. But B12 was a big one in the former vegan community I was part of in that people didn't used to wash their fruits and vegetables because of this B12 because they're like, it's in the soil. So you can get your B12 from the soil. Nice and pretty then. Yeah, yeah. I did not follow that advice. I wasn't vegan for very long, I should say. I've, I've made it a big thing and it really, it, it wasn't. Was it because they told you you should eat soil? Yeah, I mean, that kind of put me off a little bit. Again, it's what Kara said about people who have a certain opinion, agenda, things they're trying to push. They'll find ways to convince you. They'll have all sorts of things that can kind of convince you that you're doing the right thing. But you have to look into things in detail and be critical, I think is what we're coming back to. Looking at the bigger picture. I think that's why it's really hard when you read newspaper headlines, for example. They'll say this has been found to be cancerous. Oh, you shouldn't, you should drink more red wine. You should drink less red wine. You should drink one glass a day for your health. And it will all depend on the test conditions, right? So, you know, what was the sample of the population that they took? Was it all a bunch of students? I'm perpetrating that all students alcohol. That is not true, actually. But it's that bias that we've created by the test condition, perhaps, as well. 
that goes back to your example. It's the whole picture, isn't it? It's not just the information that someone chooses to give to us. From all of your examples, it seems that some information is cherry-picked to sell a particular narrative. So perhaps it makes sense to discuss whether we think cherry-picking data is a good thing or a bad thing. I think it depends. But that sounds, again, very hypocritical because we've said, oh, how cherry-picking is such a bad thing in all of our examples. But maybe it can be a good thing in in certain cases if it can influence behaviour that is better for society. Again, who defines what's better, what's worse, or what's good, what's bad? It's often a bit of a grey area and there will always be some people who will come off worse and some people who come off better on any kind of policy or finding. I think that there is an argument for having raw data available for people to have access to or just in general have data available for people to access because that's a huge one, isn't it? Like I know a lot of data is hidden behind paywalls and and a lot of scientific publications are quite difficult to access and that's not really fair. So I think the public should have access to the data. But then there's also a certain amount of trust people have in scientists as well. And that's what scientists do in their jobs. Just as we go to a a doctor and we rely on them to like fix a broken bone, we don't try and fix it ourselves after reading a book on how to fix bones. I think there should be some kind of level of trust of scientists. Of course, there can be bad scientists just as there can be bad doctors. But I also do think we need to trust scientists a bit and then be more wary of the people using the scientists or trying to take stuff from the scientists for their own gains maybe it's quite easy to get overwhelmed with a lot of information as well though isn't it i think some people would just prefer for for them to turn to someone and say can you please just tell me what this is or say for example like going on the example that you're saying about veganism if if someone is vegan and, and they are iron deficient and they need a fix to it. They would just want to be able to go to a source of information and say, okay, how do I fix this? This is my problem. How do I fix it? Rather than saying, well, you could eat this much spinach and you could do this, but eat vitamin C with it and have some B12 with it. I think sometimes it's just too much information out there. And for some things, you just want to know what the answer is. Anika, what you said there, you trust people with information. And sometimes I like to think, okay, if they're going to cherry pick things to sell that message in a simplified way that people get, I think that's great. But, you know, do I think that whenever someone's saying something which I agree with? But if they say something which is opposed to my values, am I then going to say that they shouldn't be cherry picking data? And that's something, you know, I'm aware that I do. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, it's fine to tell, tell a simplified story. And so I work on social value. And actually social value really is about changing the messages of how people talk about or how people understand how things which are built through engineering projects impact their lives in a positive way. And that can be really great. It can be talking about... You know, people who come from a background where maybe they, for whatever reason they don't care about environmental pressures because they're too busy in their own daily life thinking about other things so I can say well Kev the environmental pressures means that we're going to build a better park and you can bring your children to that park and it makes your life less stressful day by day like you know that's changing the narrative in a great way to meet them where they need to be but also social value is very much about like it's almost like greenwashing you can kind of cherry pick the data but you want to kind of then cover up some bad stuff so it's yeah there like there's no answer to this it really depends and probably person to person who you ask will say different things depending which cherry picked data you show them is it cherry picking or is it more picking a focus you know it, it depends if you you hide everything else from them so you say ah oh, yes we're building a park on top of this pile of rubbish i don't know probably not but but i just mean you know are you just giving them that that surface level do you give them the full picture to look at but you put at the front this is the benefit to you 
that's so true that's so true it's framing it in a certain way it's not hiding things it's just framing as something which makes it you prioritize stuff and make it relevant to people but you know maybe there's a fine line absolutely you're thinking about prioritizing and what you focus on so if people choose to say we're carbon so now everyone's talking about being carbon neutral it's like a, a big that's again a whole other rabbit hole but um so that's that that they're not lying about their data they may have planted all of those trees but whether planting those trees really is uh, as good as not emitting all of that carbon in the first place that's another question isn't it and it, so in that case again it's like yeah what have they focused on on advertising to people or selling to people and yeah what are they not talking about Anika sorry you just said a rabbit hole I realized when I was saying a wormhole I was like it doesn't sound quite right and I kept saying the word wormhole I was putting rabbit hole and, and can of worms together let's <laughs> <laughs> make it a thing Cara. but wormhole wormhole that's cool that's cool Sometimes it feels like a wormhole. Space age and high tech. I think let's make it a thing. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> you, know, you start off in one place and you end up somewhere else. And that is rabbit hole and wormhole. That was a movie. That was this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that is this podcast for sure. <laughs> yeah, we tried We tried to start in one place. We went through a wormhole. We did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is a very niche reference. I don't know if anyone will get it, but did anyone watch the S Club 7 movie where they went through a wormhole? I did watch it, but I don't remember the wormhole. They, en- they went through a wormhole and went back to the 1960s. I wasn't the one where, where they got cloned. Oh, I think that was another movie. How many S Club 7 movies were there? I'm not sure, but I've seen those two. I was a big fan. Anyone who's not heard of Ask of Seven needs, needs to go down a YouTube wormhole, rabbit hole, and search their songs. They even had a TV show. Was their entire concept that they were a group, but they were filmed like a sitcom? Yay. <laughs> right, okay. So it seems like scientific information, the way that it's presented is really important and how it's presented and how it's picked up by non-experts without clear and transparency of methodologies and assumptions used, it is very easy for the information to be misunderstood. This can have a huge impact on people's behaviours and we need to be responsible as scientists and engineers to ensure the message we are presenting presenting mirrors the results that we show. We hope that you will join us again for our next episode and in the meantime if you have any questions please do contact us on our social media. The views expressed in this podcast belong entirely to the person that said them. They do not represent any industry or organisation. If you enjoyed listening to these views, it would really help us out if you could rate us, leave a review and tell a friend. This podcast was sponsored by no one, but if you're interested in funding us to continue to have frank discussions about science and engineering, please get in touch.